Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another special staff edition of Inside LBUSD, the Laguna Beach Unified School District podcast. This episode features a conversation between our Assistant Superintendent of Instruction, Dr. Chad Maybury, and our keynote speaker from the recent Staff Development Day, Dr. Katie Martin, about how educators can empower learners to know who they are, to thrive in their community, and to actively engage in the world as their best selves. I think you guys will agree that Dr. Martin was a phenomenal speaker and an incredible resource to our district, and I'm confident you guys will really enjoy this wonderful conversation. And now, Dr. Chad Maybury and Dr. Katie Martin. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I am Chad Maybury, the Assistant Superintendent of Instruction here in Laguna Beach Unified uh, with a very special guest, uh, Dr. Katie Martin here. Uh, We want to talk a little bit today about how we can help educators empower learners to know who they are, thrive in their community, and actively engage in the world as their best selves. Welcome, Katie. So glad to have you. So glad to be here. Well, we're excited. Uh, you know, you are uh, an author, you are a professor, college professor, researcher, international speaker, coach, mentor, district office leader, teacher, mom, wife, um, but most importantly to Laguna Beach Unified, you are the co-founder and chief impact officer at Learner Center Collaborative, who we've been working with for the last year. So thank you. We're really excited for this partnership to continue. I Like I've told you so many times today, I love Laguna Beach. This place is really special and it's so fun to be here. Well, I want to jump right into it. Um, you, so one way I think our listeners can kind of get to know you, you wrote two books, uh, Evolving Education, uh, your most recent one, and Learning Centered Innovation, as well as a TED Talk, which is thousands of views. Uh, so to help our learners get to know you, can you kind of tell us how these came about in your leadership journey and the impact that has had? Yeah. Um, You know, I've shared that I was not the best student growing up. And so thinking about being an educator was definitely not part of my plan. In fact, when I went back for my 10 year reunion, I got voted most changed because I was getting my PhD and clearly nobody expected that to be in education, getting my PhD because I just kind of was very unengaged, very disengaged in school, didn't love um being, I wasn't really motivated by a lot. And so until I started teaching and, and really being connecting with, with students, it didn't really come to life for me. And I really found a passion for education and what's possible. And I never had aspirations, one, to be a teacher. But once I got in the classroom, I never wanted to leave. And my principal came up and asked me to be a coach one day and come out of the classroom. And I was like, no, I really love my students. But I I took the challenge and I became a coach and I learned so much as I came out of the classroom and saw so many other people teach, totally shifted my view of what was possible, but also what really needed to change more broadly in education. And I started going to school and again, loved it and got my master's and had really great professors that modeled what was possible in higher ed and in K-12. And so I decided to continue getting my PhD all while I was teaching, all while I was coaching. So I've really developed this affinity for research and practice together as everything I was learning in higher ed and researching, I was doing in the classroom and with educators. And everything I wished was being researched in my practice, I was studying um, in my own research. So that together has just informed my approach and I've just been able to continue to evolve as, as my book is. Like I... Um, 
I have created almost every job I've had in the last uh, 12 years. None of them existed. It was always an opportunity to work with schools and help push practice. And I've been really fortunate to continue to grow and learn and um, from incredible people with incredible people and um, continue to see what's possible in schools. I love that you created your own jobs, right? I mean, I think that's so relevant to what we're doing with student learners right now. Uh, The challenge of we're often preparing them for jobs that don't exist yet, right? And so how does some of the student-centered, learner-centered work uh, help these students for jobs that aren't out there yet or the skills they need? How, How do we help develop that for the kids. Yeah, I think exactly what you were saying is we don't know exactly what jobs are going to exist, what majors are even going to exist. We were just having this conversation five years from now, many of the majors can change um, in college. So students really need to have a sense of who they are, what their strengths are, what they want to do. Uh, and they need to be able to navigate their path, not necessarily check the box and follow this path to success that may not be relevant anymore, two years from now, 10 years from now. And when students know who they are and they know how to continue to learn, they can keep changing jobs. They don't have to stick with the same job for 30 years. They can continue to see what the world um, has to offer, and they can continue to learn and be part of it, and maybe even create their own job. Right. Yes, I, I, I was when I was doing research for this, I noticed that we want emphasis in your your major in college was human development. Yes, which I mean, how cool is that? Because really, I, educators are architects of human development. Mm-hmm. Right, we're developing these people and helping them have these skills and attributes and capabilities when they leave us that they can thrive and be successful. You've worked with schools and districts across the country, across the world, what are some of the themes that you're seeing that are like these outcomes that are common across all of them that we're we're finding really, really important for kids to learn today? Yeah, Uh, every time I ask people, what do they want? They want kids to be one happy. And that, um, what that means can vary. But we, we want kids to be able to be learners, like we were just talking about. I need, they need to be able to know how to learn, not just do well on a test. They need to be really effective communicators. And when we are effective communicators, that means we practice speaking, we practice conveying our ideas, synthesizing information, um, and they need to be able to share their ideas, but also listen to other people as well. Um, we need that in the world a lot today to hear other ideas and and to come to some common understanding. They need to be able to collaborate well and work with people. Uh, we rarely work in isolation, and there's people with different perspectives and different worldviews, and we need to be able to work together to solve problems. That's the other one, is, is just being a creative problem solver. As we saw during COVID and continue to see that... Um, there are challenges that don't have solutions. And so we need to continue to be able to uh, solve problems. And um, empathy is a really big one, right? Empathy, being able to understand different stories and being able to see different perspectives is a really critical component. Well, thank you. The, uh, one of the things that we've done with Learning Center Collaborative with you, with Devin Vodoychka, Cesar Morales, yep. is we've really can try to connect with our stakeholders over the last 12 months. Uh, and, we really, and we started with students. Uh, and asked them what they thought was most important and what skills they thought they needed. And then we went and talked with some parent groups, teacher groups, staff groups, and we've continued to, to evolve. Uh, that, for us, is going to be just turned into very similar five learning learner outcomes that we're really excited about. Uh, empowered learner, 
a collaborator, creative problem solver, communicator, and empathetic citizen. I nailed so, it, huh? Yes, yes. <laughs> so I'm gonna put you on the spot. Is there a favorite one of those five? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, I really think, gosh, I, they are all important, but the empowered learner to me is, is, is critical. We, we can be all those things and I think we can be a good communicator, but if you don't know how to learn and you are not willing to learn and try new things, it's really hard to continue to evolve and grow and become your best self because there's a lot of information that continually comes out that we're going to need to learn. We don't have all the information just because we have a credential or just because we have a degree. And one of the things that I think I've seen our, our educators kind of wrestle with when, when we've talked about these five is they're different, right? It's not, this is not math or this is not two-step equations and this is not, uh, you know, form, formulas for science, right? How do, we, how do we measure student growth in these type of skills uh, that we know and we're saying are really, really important for our kids, not just now, but for their foreseeable future? Yeah, so I think about it in a few ways. When we look at what's important, just like you said, you started with students, you asked a lot of stakeholders. I spent the afternoon with elementary teachers and we asked, what are the skills that you want your students to have? And they said many of those things, right? They said collaborator, critical thinker, empowered learners. And as they started to connect what they wanted to the profile, they realized how important those are. So I like to start from that as the North Star. So the, the math and reading and writing skills, they're not irrelevant. They're absolutely critical. They're just not the end goal, right? If we can, if we can situate those in the bigger outcomes, then it helps us understand and give relevance. So to your question about assessment, um, Devin and I always talk about this as like there's, there's ladder skills that you just that are sequential there's things that you know math and reading that that build off of one another and those are things you can say you're at this level and here's the next step then there are things that are a little bit more um, nuanced and ambiguous naughty so to speak and those are the things that we really need to um, it's not yes or no it's not you're a collaborator or you got to be in being an empathetic citizen it is about how often are you showing up that way? What does it look like? You know, did you, can you assess, can you give examples of that? What feedback do your peers have for you? So those are skills that we want to really assess um, with examples, not just A, B, C, D, or one, two, three, four. Uh, and so it's different. There's, there's progress, there's an actual product, and then there's habits that we can really look at how we assess those things differently. I love the progression, right? And mm -hmm. you think of like, sometimes in literacy, you're thinking through writing, right? And you know, I'm in my late 40s and I'm still working on my writing skills. Uh, and I have been for a long time and I'm still getting better. I have not mastered it, but mm -hmm. I continue to make progress. Uh, and sometimes there's some subject areas like math or other ones where you feel like you've accomplished something. And really, if, if you're thinking through the skills that you're talking about problem solving, right? Persistence, mm -hmm. those, whether you're doing second grade math or AP calculus, they apply, right? Problem solving is a skill that is something like writing. You can always continue to get better at that. And that's one of the things I've really liked about the learner outcomes that we've developed is there are things kids can work on whatever grade level they're in, from yep. second grade to sixth grade to 12th grade. Um, can you talk a little bit about when you've worked with different schools and districts, like how do they connect something like this and how, with like younger kids versus older kids? And how do we know that this is something that's become a part of our culture? 
Great question. I would also argue that it doesn't stop at 12th grade. You as the assistant superintendent can also show you're an empathetic citizen and you can show you're an effective collaborator. So it's for all learners and the adults in the building certainly can and should model those for the students as well. And I think we know it's part of the culture when you start using that language. So it's important to develop progressions because it's big when you say like, oh, a kindergartner is going to be an empathetic citizen. They go, I don't really know if our kids know what that means. But when you start breaking down the language and the skills, you can see they build from a kindergarten through 12th grade and you can start developing those skills over time. So when that language becomes part of the conversations with kids, wow, I really liked how you're being an effective collaborator. You communicated your ideas so well. Kids feel that and understand that, and they know it connects to bigger things that they're also seeing the bigger kids doing. So I've seen um, a lot of our partner districts, they might, instead of just awarding kids for showing up or attendance, right, or awarding them for being the best student, they'll start identifying their their learner profile outcomes and awarding kids or recognizing kids throughout the the community because of how they're showing up and demonstrating those attributes. They become part of the classroom walls and the language you're using. When you're doing progress reports or um, you're doing a portfolio, you're showing evidence of how you're developing those skills over time in addition to the academic outcomes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the ev- evidence of learning, right? I mean, that is so powerful. How, you know, we can't, learning is not a number, right? You can't say a kid is a four or an 82% on their learning. Like, it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's one thing that's come out of the challenges of COVID is that kids learned in different ways. There was a lot of things, kids may have paused or had some struggles around the academic side of learning in that challenging setting, but they were learning a lot of life skills 100%. when they were at home, they were online, they were using technology. I mean, amazing some of the skills that they learned during that time. Yeah, I saw my kids learn how to navigate the calendar and click on and know what they were doing for the day, have a schedule. They didn't have bells to, you know, move them around. And all of a sudden they were very capable. They go to the bathroom whenever they wanted. They get a snack and they could sit down and do some work. Yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, The thinking through that, those learning experiences, Mm -hmm. right? Um, there's four learning experiences that we've been talking about um, and, and Learners in a Collaborative has talked about as well around authentic learning, mm-hmm. personalized learning, competency-based learning, uh, and inclusive. And so how, how do we, how, what are some steps that teachers and educators can do to help provide more of those experiences that lend themselves to those kind of outcomes? Yeah. Uh, we have some self-assessments and just kind of conversations. I think I'm always a big fan of starting with what's working. So identifying practices where you feel successful. Oh, wow, I am really good at creating collaboration opportunities in my classroom and start assessing that and thinking about what's working well. We can do ask kids. One of the great ways to do it, hey, do you have you know ideas of how I can improve and how we could create a more personalized learning environment? Um, I am a huge fan of getting out of your classroom and going and seeing other people's teach. So if you just if you have some look fors, we can you know there's some look fors on the website where you can assess your own practice, but also go into your team teacher or teacher down the hall and look for examples also of what's working and how you could shift practices are another good step. And then so, you know we have courses and examples, but there's lots of ideas. But first, we just have to get comfortable with the fact that, huh, there's there's some other ways to teach that might be more effective for our students. Yes, and the, and that's the 
one of the most important things I think we've seen over in our partnership for the last years. There's so many of these good things going on in the classrooms so here many. in Laguna Beach. It's, it's really amazing to see and put a frame and a and, and language to that uh, on the work they're already doing. And there's opportunities for growth, right? And that's kind of what we strive ourselves to be is this continuous growth around whether it's us as the, the, the teachers and the educators and the learners, as well as our kids. We always want to continue to evolve and grow and so, so important. Uh, that we do that. Yeah, and one of the points on, you know, we talked about those four experiences and why they're so important. There's a variety of movements, you know, and there's a lot of the deeper learning movement, big fan, um, you know, of the, the project-based learning work. Um, and then there's been, the that's more of the constructivist, and then there was the technology and personalized learning, and these, these um, groups ended up being parallel in some cases. And we really see the need to come together with really useful technology to personalize learning and the authenticity and inclusiveness of classrooms. When you put those all together, you get the deep skills that students need at various levels. And then there's the authentic purpose for demonstrating those skills. And when you separate them, you might have cool projects, but kids don't have skills, or you might have lots of skills, but no purpose. So it's really important to weave those four together. Yeah. And I, what I've seen when those have been weaved together is kids feel valued. They feel like they're seen, right? They're, they're, they're having ownership of their learning, right? And we know when kids are in that space, like their learning goes off the charts. Right. Right? I mean, they're in the right space to learn. That's the learning zone. Um, and, and our kids have said that to us. They want more and more relevant learning experiences, uh, or authentic learning and, and opportunities for those. And I think that's something that we're continuing to work on through our unit design, um, which I think you got to see a little bit yep. of today, uh, where teachers are thinking through those type of learning experiences together. And at sometimes that might be, uh, you know, a high school English teacher with a middle school uh, Spanish teacher with an elementary third grade teacher. And they're coming up with different ideas across contexts so they can connect the kids and these really engaging, relevant learning experiences. Yeah, we just had the celebration of learning at the gallery walk. It's amazing to see what people are coming up with. And, you know, kudos to you all as a district for creating the space and the structure for people to have those outcomes and think about the resources to be able to put together those lessons and the freedom to try new things in the classroom. I mean, that's that's an important step to being able to shift practices. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I wanted to uh, I noticed that you were an English teacher. Yep. Right. Uh, and you were a mentor for uh, new teachers as well. Right. Oh, I love that job. That was so much fun. One thing that I've always wanted to do, I want to do before I retire is I want to go back and teach. Uh, I've learned so much from the teachers I've worked with, the educators mm-hmm. I've worked with. Um, I've missed teaching every day since I've left. Uh, I've, I've missed being a principal, too. But I really want to go back and teach. Um, what advice do you have for new teachers or, or me if I go back at some point uh, as they come into this to think through this learner-centered approach? Yeah, well, I'll say I just went back and taught a third grade lesson a couple weeks ago. It was so fun, so humbling. Um, but, but the kids were like, oh my gosh, they didn't want to go to lunch. They were just having fun with their posters. And it was a simple shift to being able to have them read um, and then create some meaning together. So advice I have for new teachers and all of us really is the kids have to do the work. (laughs) I have seen too many classrooms where the teachers want to structure it. They want to go step by step because they need to get to that perfect product at the end or get through the lesson and check off the box. The kids don't read, they don't write, they don't think, and they don't do much of the work. The teachers are taking on too much of the work. So I would say biggest piece is it may not be 
the most beautiful piece of work. It might not be perfect, but you got to let kids do the work. And then your work, you know, is to help them edit, revise, mold, make it better. But it's not going to be perfect on the first round. It never is. But they have to do the work themselves and we just have to back off. Not totally leave them to them, you know, leave them alone, but we have to let them do more of the work and then guide them along the way. Everything you said reminds me of one of your favorite quotes in your book. Uh, I have to say it. Um, Those who are willing to show up and be brave, not perfect, are paving the way and innovating to create the path forward. What did you mean by that quote? There's not a roadmap. There's, there's not a here's the way that school is has to be in the next 20 years. We, um, the world is changing, we're evolving our practices, and the people who are creating the next steps are the educators in the classroom, the principals leading buildings, the district administrators who are supporting, but it's on the ground. Those are the people who are creating the the image of what's possible, creating those examples. It's not coming from our federal government. It's not coming from these policies. It's coming from the educators in each and every classroom who are doing things that work for kids. Yes, and it ties to, I'm going to go to another quote from the book. Sorry, uh, I've done, done a little bit of research before I came. Uh, we don't We don't need young people to adapt to a standardized system. We need the system to adapt to unique learners. And I think that really gets at that personalized learning piece and how we can reveal their assets rather than talk about their deficit. 100%. You know, we've said this again, the the system of education was designed in an industrial era. Our world is not that anymore. It's evolved. We have AI, we have technology, we have the world moving so fast and jobs that are changing rapidly that we don't need people suited for an industrial system. We need people who can adapt, and we need people who know who they are, know their strengths, uh, and we need people to be excited about their skills and the work. And I think, you know, the graph I always show about skills, you know, or engagement decreasing as students go through school. What if we flip that? What if by the time our 12th graders were graduating, they were so motivated, excited, ready to tackle problems because they had had experience doing that and felt good about it in high school? we would see a very different trajectory leaving high school and the engagement throughout. Yeah, and that makes me think about hope, right? Yep. Hope is something we want every kid to have, want every person to have. It's, in my opinion, a human right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is a big part of what we do as educators is we help provide hope. Uh, and I know that that's really at the heart of the mission of Learn Center Collaborative uh, about kids having possibility. Uh, do you wanna to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think absolutely hope and we have to ground that in, I've developed skills, I've practiced this, right? It's not an empty hope or sense of possibility. It's grounded in, I've spent 12 years practicing, learning, really diving deeply into work that matters, whether you're in second grade or 10th grade. And so you leave school equipped, whether it's going to college, whether it's going to community college, trade school, whatever it is, equipped to take on that next step and feeling hopeful about your your next steps because you've had a lot of experience and you have skills. Thank you, thank you. That is uh, inspiring to hear. Uh, and I think today's been a very inspiring day. Um, for our listeners out there that are just thinking through this and saying, uh, I love this. This is something that connects well to me. It resonates. Uh, I'm doing some of this work. Um, how do I start this 
on Monday next week? How do I start this next week? What kind of things that can they do that are very tangible to start yeah. sooner than later? Easiest step. Go talk to your kids. Talk to your students. Find out what they love about your class. Find out where they feel successful. Find out where they feel the most joy uh, and build on that. Also, listen to where they say there's opportunities for growth. Find out where they say they have ideas. Listen to their ideas. Co-create. And then talk to your community. Talk to your teachers. Talk to your principal. Get permission. Because, you know, I know the administration's like, yes, we want to support this. And a lot of times teachers feel like they can't do it. They don't have the permission. So one, I would say, go ask for permission. Don't wait for it. And then go talk to your kids and find out where there's opportunities for growth. And for our listeners that want to hear more about your work, where can they hear about it? Where can they find out more about all the things you're doing? Well, a great place to go is uh, learnercentered.org. And that's our website that has lots of information. You can always find me personally on all the social at katymartinedu. And I'd love it if you sign up for the Bright Spots. Every week I send out a newsletter about the great things that are happening in the world of education. And uh, also love if you want to share your own stories so I can highlight them. Thank you. And it is, I love that newsletter. I've said this multiple times today. I'm, I'm the number one fan for that <laughs> newsletter. It's just a great way to have a Friday. It's an inspiring way to go into the weekend. So I will uh, second that. Please do sign up for that. So again, I want to thank you for your time today, your time this afternoon. Uh, it's been wonderful, a partnership with you and the Learner Center Collaborative team. Uh, and we look forward to continuing that in the future. Yeah. Laguna Beach is a really special place. I, I told the groups today, uh, there's there's joy here, there's celebration of great things, and there's a great community, but there's also a reflectiveness and a willingness to think about the next steps in, in service of the learners. So it's a special place, and I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this special staff edition of Inside LBUSD. If you have any questions about this episode, please feel free to reach out to Dr. Mayberry. And as always, we hope you have a wonderful week.